0: The Apostle Paul is like a father to the Philippian church. He's proud of them. He's watched them grow. They bring him joy. He's got hopes and fears for their future. He praises them, encourages them, rebukes them and warns them. But most of all, he loves them. For the last three weeks, we've been looking at the book of Philippians Three weeks ago, Colin showed us how Paul praised the Philippians for being great partners in the Gospel. A fortnight ago, Wayne talked about how the Philippians united as a church, working for the Gospel. And last week, Earl told us that Paul encouraged the Philippians to stand out like stars in the universe, to be distinctive in a dark world for the Gospel's sake. But this week, we will see that Paul is worried there is a danger lurking something that could destroy the church. Paul spends all of chapter 3 talking about it. I think that we belong to a good church, doing lots of really good things for the gospel. But like the Philippian church, we face a great danger. The same thing that threatened the Philippian church could destroy our church and the people in it. The threat that Paul was so worried about was that some people were saying that if you act like a Christian, you are one. This is a big lie. To say that your actions make you a Christian is to completely miss the point of the Gospel. It is false, and anyone who thinks thinks that way is doomed to destruction. It's not our actions that can save us. Only Jesus can. If you look at your outline, you'll get an idea of where we're heading. The first point... Is that before his conversion, Paul was living this lie? He used to think that what he did made him right with God. The second point shows how Paul has discovered that knowing and trusting Jesus is what is important. He can't save himself. And the third point is about us and how we can avoid falling into the trap that Paul was so worried about. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the Bible and thank you that we know that it is true. Please may your spirit help us to understand together what it's saying to us today and then to help us to put it into practice. Amen. Who are you and what do you do? If I meet someone, one of the first things I want to know about them is what they do, what their job is. I'll normally have real trouble remembering their name, but I'll probably remember what their job is. It's a bit bit sad, really, that who a person is is often defined by what they do. There is so much more to a person than just their job. The fact that our daughter Megan is a student, or that I am a farmer, tells you hardly anything about who we really are. But in this part of Philippians... Paul spends a fair bit of time telling us about who he is and what he does. We will find out that when it comes to important stuff, Christian stuff, who we are and what we do go hand in hand. Paul says in verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul is obviously reinforcing things he's already told them and it's important to remind them. Clearly, we should never tire of hearing the truth or reading our Bibles. We should be keen to come to church. Our school principal at Manduran, uh, while trying vainly to encourage Roger to learn maths, said, repetition, repetition, repetition. The same for us. The more times we hear the truth, the more it will become part of us. In verse 2 Paul writes, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. These people are insisting on circumcision and they have really got Paul's back up and he is fierce in his criticism of them because to insist on outward signs or behaviour to show that one is truly Christian is to belittle what Jesus has done and to miss the point of the gospel. Our actions can't save us. It is only through Jesus that we can be right with God. And Paul explains in the rest of this chapter why this is true and why these false teachers are so dangerous. In verse 3 we come to Paul's description of the early church. He says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. By saying we are the circumcision, he is saying that he and his fellow Christians are God's chosen people. In the Old Testament, circumcision was the mark or the sign of God's people, the Jews. Part of the deal God had with his people was that they had to follow him and his commands. Sadly, just like us, The Jews failed miserably in following God, so the deal was off. But the great news of the gospel is that for followers of Jesus, we are God's people. Let's find out a bit more about Paul. Who was Paul and what did he do? This is our first point in the outline. Before his conversion, Paul thought that he was one of God's chosen people. He says, if you want outward signs as proof of holiness, look no further. I'm your man. Let's have a look at verses 4 to 6. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, Faultless. A, he was a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day. B, he was of the people of Israel, God's chosen people. C, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that Israel's first king, Saul, came from. Maybe it's not a coincidence that Paul's name before his conversion was Saul. And D, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This is a bit like saying, if being a true blue Aussie would save you, then Greg Bennett would be right for sure. A big, strong outdoors type, loves his football, enjoys the occasional beer. Well, Paul is saying, if you want to see a fair Hebrew, that's me. So before his conversion, who was Paul? Well, he had an impeccable pedigree. It would have appeared obvious that he belonged to God, that he was God's man. And what did he do? Well, he tells us in verse 6, Firstly, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Now, to the Jews, obedience of the law was paramount, and the Pharisees were the strictest sect among the Jews. So, in keeping to the letter of the law, Paul was up with the best. Secondly, he was zealous in persecuting the church. He thought that the Christian church was a threat to God's people, so he pursued and persecuted Christians relentlessly. And thirdly, again he says... As for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. Paul wasn't boasting. He was just stating the facts. No one followed the letter of the law better than him. So in his old life, Paul saw himself as a man belonging to God's chosen people by birth. And what he did was put his faith in his own actions. He thought his legalistic observance of the law would make him right with God. From verses 7 onwards, we see a very different Paul, a new Paul. Gone is the old reliance on himself and his actions. The new Paul is totally reliant on Jesus. We're up to the second point in the outline. We read in verses 7 to 9, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. The things that Paul used to put his faith in, his heritage and his law-keeping, he now considers loss. Not just unimportant, but loss, rubbish. The problem was for Paul and is for us that anything that distracts us from Jesus and what he has done for us is bad news. No, it's more than that. Paul isn't just talking about distractions that might take up too much time, like sport or TV or work. He's talking about false teaching. False teaching is wrong, and it will undermine the whole gospel. This false teaching isn't like going for a drive in your car and getting sidetracked or lost, but it's like crossing to the wrong side of the road and driving straight into a semi-trailer. The result is certain death. This is that serious. If you start trusting in yourself, you are doomed. You see, it's a subtle difference, and that's why it's so dangerous. If we trust in Jesus and try to follow him... God will welcome us. But if we trust in ourselves and our actions and think that that will please God, then God will turn us away. If I think that by turning up to church each week or by contributing my fair share to the offering that I am earning merit certificates from God, I'm not only kidding myself, I am losing sight of Jesus. Kay and I started teaching scripture this year out at Manduran. And that's a good thing. But sometimes it's really easy for me to think that other people, or even God, will notice what I'm doing and say, he's a good Christian. But if I do this, I'm having myself on, and I'm taking my eyes off Jesus. If I do this, I'll start trying to impress men and God, and will actually be pushing God away and trusting in myself. Paul regards anything that might lead him away from Christ as rubbish because he knows that only through Jesus can he be righteous. Paul knows and tells us there is no other way to be right with God than through faith in Jesus. Confidence in anything else is worse than misguided. It's dangerous. In verses 10 and 11 we read, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's aim is no longer to obey the law, but to know Christ. The power of Christ's resurrection is God's way of bringing us back to him. The power of the resurrection is that it transforms believers from aliens to God into God's sons. Paul wants to share in Christ's sufferings. This doesn't mean suffering from a cold or a sore toe or because we've got a bad boss at work or even because it doesn't rain. No, this means suffering for the gospel. Suffering because we are doing God's will. Jesus did this to the point of death and so must we. For some it may be physical death, for some it may be persecution. But for all of us, It must be putting everything else in second place behind following God. We must be prepared to sacrifice everything for the sake of following Jesus. And if we have faith in Jesus, we will somehow attain resurrection from the dead. Paul says somehow in verse 11 not to imply that he is unsure if it will happen, but to say that he is unsure how and when it will happen. In his case, he wasn't sure if he would be martyred soon or if God wanted him on earth for a while longer. He knew God was coming for him. He just wasn't sure when. So the new Paul, the converted Christian Paul, who is he? Well, he is God's son, righteous through Jesus, having no merit of his own, but given life by Jesus Christ, And now listen to how Paul acts because of who he is. I'll read verses 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus Paul knows he isn't perfect but he knows what his goal and prize is it is eternal life life in heaven Jesus has claimed the prize for Paul but Paul hasn't yet taken hold of it so he presses on he strives and strains towards a goal can you see the difference between the old Paul and the new Paul The old Paul thought his actions made him who he was, and the more laws he kept, the more godly he was. The new Paul's actions are because of who he is. He is God's chosen son, so he strives to prepare himself for everlasting life with God. Daily, he has to forget the past and to put his old way of life, his pride and his mistakes behind him, and press on towards a future in heaven. Take note of the difference. The truth is, Paul is not a Christian because he acts like one. Paul acts like a Christian because he is one. (coughs) I'll say it again. The truth is that Paul is not a Christian because he acts like one. Paul acts like a Christian because he is one. So the old Paul thought he was right with God because of who he was and what he did. The new Paul knows he is right with God because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done who was the new Paul? God's son. What does he do? He tries to live like God's number one son, Jesus. Verse 16, I think, sums up Paul's and the Christian's life well. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. We are saved people. We are God's children. We have a new identity. Let's live up to it. Let's be the people we are, God's children. In verse 15 Paul says all of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently that too God will make clear to you. I don't think Paul is making an arrogant statement. He is simply saying this is the true gospel and if you disagree with it you're wrong. We can explain and defend the gospel with confidence because it's a truth. In verse 17 we read, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Why Paul can say such a seemingly self-righteous thing as this is explained by 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, where Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So here Paul is not saying, I am the greatest, follow me. Rather, he is saying, Jesus is a perfect example. Let's follow him together. Verses 18 and 19 show that Paul doesn't take the attitude of, we're all right, the rest can please themselves. No, he weeps and mourns for the lost. I reckon that non-Christians in Australia fall into two main groups. Firstly, those who say that Christianity is a load of hogwash and want nothing to do with it. If a person says, I don't believe in God, I don't trust Jesus, then in some ways I can accept that, sad as it is. As I wrote this, I actually cried because there have been people in my own family who have died as non-believers, but they made a conscious decision. I think I'm even more sad for the second group, those who think they are right with God but aren't. It would obviously be foolish and wrong for any of us to try and judge who is and who isn't saved. But some of my friends seem to think that because they come from a church-going family, they believe in God and are not too bad, then God will look kindly on them, and they'll be all right in the end. But they're wrong. Paul tells us, the Bible tells us, that anyone who puts their faith in who they are or what they've done is lost forever. Forever. How sad it would be to think that you're right all of your life, only to find out at the end that you didn't understand at all. We need to be like Paul and grieve for those who are going the wrong way. Grieving after they've died won't do any good. Surely it must be my job and your job to show and tell them the truth before it's too late. Well, we've seen who the old Paul was and what he did, and the new Paul and what he did, but what about us? we up to point three. Who are we? Let's have a look in verse 20. Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven. We, that's us, Christians here today, are citizens of heaven, living in a foreign world. Paul goes on in verse 20. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So what do we do? We await a Saviour, Jesus, who with unlimited power will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like him. And we should stand firm while we wait. How can we stand firm? We follow Paul's example. And that is, we consider everything lost compared to knowing Jesus. We put knowing Jesus first. We accept that without Jesus, we are nothing. We strive towards a goal of eternal life. We be true to ourselves. That is, we are God's children. Let's live that way. And even though we're in a foreign world... We are citizens of heaven, and by the way we live, everyone should be able to see where we come from. We learnt last week how we should shine like stars in the darkness. This is serious and important. Who we are and what we do go hand in hand, but the order they go in is vital. If we get it wrong and think that because of what we've done, we can be right with God, we are doomed to destruction as individuals and as a church. It's that dangerous. If we get it right and put our faith in Jesus and what he has done, he will save us and we will be free to go on and do his will and do great things for the gospel.